Good evening, everyone. You got to understand, this is my 12th one, so I'm going to need some energy for, from you to get through it. We are so glad that you are here. It's been an unbelievable week celebrating Christmas. Easter was week five of a 12-week of a season in our calendar where we weren't allowed to have people in churches, any churches in our city. So on Easter Sunday, I was like in this room alone. We had five or six people on the production team running cameras. We were preparing an online experience for our people. And I left Easter week thinking, Lord, please, by Christmas, let us be able to, to, to be together as a church family for those who are able and willing to come. So like, I am so blessed to be in a room with people celebrating this spiritual occasion. And for those of you who are watching online, please know that we miss you and we love you. One of our men had a lung transplant about six months ago. He just got home two weeks ago. We know there are lots of people who still physically can't get here yet, but you're with us in spirit. Thank you for being a part of our online experience in your watch party. But here's what I want you to know. My goal for you is not to be in church tonight. If, if there's a goal for this service, it's it has more to do with you leaving church tonight than coming church to church tonight. My goal for you is that you will leave church tonight closer to God than you came. And for us to figure out if that happens, we have to start with a little bit of self-examination. So here's the question I want to begin tonight with. How are you doing spiritually? I want you to think about that for a minute, and I want you to answer that just in, in your own heart. How are you doing spiritually? As 2020 ends... And as 2021, thank God, comes very, very close, how are you doing spiritually? Like on, like on a scale of 1 to 10, if 10 was, I'm doing better spiritually than I have ever done in my life, and 1 is, it's been a really hard year. Where do you, where do you think you are spiritually? Uh, one of my best friends was here Monday. We had a chance to have lunch on Tuesday. And he said, man, Christian, when you asked that question, my first thought was, I, like I always want to say 7, 8, or 9, like... I always want to do well, but he said, as I really contemplated, I think, I think it's probably four or five. Um, it's been a really hard year for me and for my marriage and for my kids, and I'm, I, I'm, not, I'm not doing as well as I would like to do. How are you doing spiritually? If you could summarize Christmas with one word, the word I would use to summarize the word Christmas is, is the word invitation. If you're with someone, turn to them and say invitation. I think the best spiritual word to summarize what Christmas is, is the word invitation. Christmas is an invitation from the God of heaven to you to be closer to him. That's what Christmas is. It's, a, it's God's invitation for you to be close to him. So how are you doing spiritually and do you need to move forward? Now, full disclosure, full disclaimer at the beginning of this message. If you said, I'm like nine or 10, I'm doing better spiritually than I've ever done. First, we're all very, very happy for you. I got nothing for you in this message. Like you were one of the few who's had a good year. We're proud of you. I'll be done shortly. So just kind of, you know, bear with me. But if, if you were not in that category, if you said, you know what, I think I'd like to do better than I am right now. I think there are some invitations in the Christmas story that might be for you tonight. Before we dig into them, let's pray together. Would you bow your heads with me and just close your eyes briefly? And would you do this? Would you take a deep breath? and just kind of settle your spirit into this moment. Just be all here before you leave to, to do your Christmas thing. Just be all here for a minute. And, and if you're a praying person, pray. just pray this prayer. Just whisper it from your heart to heaven. Don't have to pray it out loud. Just ask God to speak to you tonight. And if you're not a praying person, if you're not a religious person, if you don't even believe in God, here would be my challenge to you tonight. What, what do you got to lose? I would challenge you to whisper this thought um, to the universe. From your heart to heaven, just say, God, if you're real, show me tonight. What do you got to lose? 
God, if you're real, show me. God, our prayer tonight is that you'd speak to our hearts. If you're really there, uh, show us that Christmas really is an invitation for us to live in relationship with you. That's our prayer, and we ask it tonight in Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen. Three invitations at Christmas that we're going to look through, the lens of Joseph, the lens of the shepherds, and the lens of the Magi. We're going to start with Joseph. His story begins in Luke chapter 2. Luke was a historian 2,000 years ago um, who was not a Jewish person. He became a Christian, but he was never uh, personally connected with Jesus. So he did what I would have done 2,000 years ago if someone would have told me about Jesus, and I became a follower of Jesus, and I lived close to Israel. I'd have gone to Israel and really checked it out for myself. And what he wrote to his friend is, after becoming a, a believer in Jesus, I went to Israel to see if it really happened, to see if there was anyone who could validate what I had heard. And after talking to eyewitnesses of everything, I decided it really is true. So I decided to write down everything I learned so that you could have it too. And in Luke chapter two, he told us about his birth. It says, in those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. Now, the thing I love about the Christmas story is it's based in historical data. The Christmas story is not mythological. The Christmas story is not of the Greek and Roman God sort. The Christmas story is not Hollywood. The Christmas story is historical, factual data. As a matter of fact, everything on this screen can be found in the history books of the world, books that do not say the words Holy Bible on the spine or on the front. All of this is listed in the ancient history books of the world as stuff that really happened. You say, well, what do you, what do you mean history versus mythology? Here's what I mean by that. Let me give you an example. What are, what are your Christmas plans and or Christmas traditions? Uh, my family sitting on the front row, we, we do the same thing every year on Christmas. We'll go home tonight after our 12th Christmas service. We have a firefighter, used to be a fire chief um, at a station in our church who every year their uh, firehouse smoked 20 or 30 hams. They give them away to people in the community on Christmas. He's given me one every year for the last seven or eight years. He dropped it off at my house last night. Our whole dinner is in the fridge, ready to go. When we get home, um, we will break out dinner. We will throw a movie on the television. I'll be asleep within 10 minutes because I've been preaching all day, but they'll, they'll watch a movie. We have a good time. Um, we'll get up in the morning. When I say we'll get up in the morning, I'll get up in the morning. My kids are 19 and 17 now, so they'll get up at 10, maybe maybe 10.30. Um, I'm up early on Christmas. When it comes to me and Christmas, I'm kind of right between Buddy the Elf and Clark Griswold. Like I, like, I love Christmas. I love Christmas. So, man, I'm out of bed early to see if Santa has come. Like, I'm, I'm out of bed into the tree before I do anything to make sure Christmas is still real. I love Christmas. And after two or three hours of kind of beating around the house by myself. The dog and I'll manage to wake everyone up. We'll open presents and then I'll make a huge breakfast for our family. That's kind of my thing on Christmas. Everyone likes something different. So I'll make French toast. I got chocolate chip pancakes. We'll make eggs. We'll make the bacon and little smokies and I'll make sausage. We'll have fruit bowls. Like I'll, I'll make everyone their thing that they want and then I'll clean the whole kitchen. I'll do dishes by myself. One of my gifts to Danielle's don't want her to have to cook or clean on Christmas day. Um, the kids will kind of hang out. I'll take another nap because I've been preaching all week. I don't know if I mentioned that. Um, I'll take another nap and then we'll go see a movie in the movie theater. We do it at, we'd like we do it every Christmas. And this year it's Wonder Woman 1984. We love the superhero movies. And at some point during the movie, um, the audience will be transported back to Themyscira, this, this island that Wonder Woman and her people live on in the middle of the ocean that has this kind of imaginary protective bubble around it that doesn't allow you to see it unless you crash your airplane into it, which is, of course, what happened in the first episode. And this guy kind of happened on this 
this island full of kind of bionic, you know, barbaric, beautiful women who could like conquer the world if they wanted to. And of course, one of them left to help him do that. And apparently they're, they're coming back in 1984. It'll be wildly entertaining and it'll be a great joy to watch. But when it's, when it's over, it will have no impact on our life because it's not real. Like it didn't happen. Um, Themyscira is not a real place and Wonder Woman's not a real person. And like the historical events that it that it shows like like none of it's real it's all entertaining but it's not real there are people who think christmas is similar great story not real no it is real and all of the events of christmas are based in history you need to know that as you think about the first christmas luke said because all this census stuff was going on in the roman empire everyone went to their own town to register so joseph also went up from the town of nazareth in galilee to judea to bethlehem the town of david because he belonged to the house and the line of David. I think there are three invitations in the Christmas story. The first one was given to Joseph, and here it is. Christmas invitation number one is come home. Come home. If you're with somebody, turn and say, say to them, come home. Now, for those of us who want to learn a little bit, um, a better question than why did Joseph come home would be the question, why did Joseph leave home? Especially if we're students of Jewish-Israeli history and we really enjoy learning a, a, a little bit about the Hebrew Bible and about Jewish culture because in Israel 2,000 years ago, from about 3,500 years ago to 2,000 years ago, um, the people of Israel, they lived in the land of Israel, but none of them owned land in, in Israel. God owned all of the land, but he let the people work it. Um, he, basically, he says, my land, not your land, but, but you can have it, and if you take care of it, it will take care of you and, and, and we'll kind of be okay with each other. But like it, it was so much known as God's land that you, you couldn't even buy or sell land. You couldn't, you couldn't sell your land to someone else it could be because it wasn't yours to sell. And if you did, say you stumbled on tough times, so you sold a portion of your land or a portion of the farm or all of your acreage, there was a law in Israel that said every 50 years, all of the land went back to the rightful family that it used to belong to. God gave it to tribes who then divided it among ancestors. And once you had it, it was yours. It was a way to make sure there was never generational poverty in Israel because if the generation before you lost everything, every 50 years, you'd always get it all back. Everybody would get the farm and the house and the land, like they would get it all back. It was one of God's stop gaps. He gave them the land. It was their spiritual home. It was their spiritual inheritance. It was their spiritual legacy. You would never leave it. And even if grandpa lost it, you would get it back in your generation. So you say, why would, like, if that's the way it worked, why would you ever leave home? Well, you'd only leave home if you fell on tough times and you needed to. And as you learn Joseph's story a little bit, what we just learned in Luke chapter 2 is the homestead, the, the, like the family farm, the homestead, was in Bethlehem of Judea, but he was living in Nazareth of Galilee. That's northern Israel. You say, why was he living there? Most likely because he was working in this town, this blue star here, Sepphoris which was one of the great construction projects of the day. Maybe you've heard in the story of Jesus that Jesus' dad was a carpenter, and maybe you've seen pictures of Jesus and his dad making tables and chairs together. Jesus' dad was probably not a carpenter. They probably did not make tables and chairs together. There are 27 books written in the New Testament portion of the Bible about Jesus and his teaching and his followers and his movement. They were all written in Greek when they were translated to English. Sometimes the words didn't mesh perfectly. The word used for Joseph was the Greek word tekton. It meant a construction manager. 
And when you looked at all the construction happening in Nazareth 2,000 years ago, they were building a massive stone city that they wanted to look like the cities of Rome because when the Roman Caesars came down to Israel, they wanted them to think they were in Rome, not in Israel. So most likely Joseph was a stonemason, most likely the first 30 years of his life, Jesus was a stonemason. They were not building tables and chairs. They were probably building stone homes and they were building roadways and they were building buildings and they were building amphitheaters and they were building infrastructure. Most likely they, they worked as stone masons wear work. We say, why'd they leave home? Probably because they needed a job and this was the place to find work. But in Israel, if you left home, you always were invited to come home. What's interesting is we know all about this homestead and people who kept leaving there and coming back there. Joseph's great, 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 great grandma was someone named Ruth. Ruth married a guy from the exact same homestead. Remember, families would be given a farm and it, like it it would be theirs. They could never lose it. It was the same one. So she married someone who lived on the same homestead as Joseph. In his day, there was a famine in Judea. So for them to survive, they had to leave Bethlehem. They actually crossed the Jordan River, lived in modern-day Jordan, what was in called Moab. He met his wife named Ruth. And eventually that, that family, when the famine was over, they came home. Because in Israel, you always, you always come home. That guy named David was born in, on the same homestead. Just a couple generations later, David would be born there, and he would leave too. You say, why would David leave? Because the country was at war, and he was a military-age kid, and he, all he and his brothers went to the army to, to fight kind of all over southern Israel. But, but he would come home because in Israel, you always came home. And then when Jesus was born there, Jesus would leave. An evil king named Herod would kind of chase him out of the town. You could say spiritual warfare drove him away because it just wasn't spiritually safe for him to live there. But you were always in Israel invited to come home. Now, when Jesus came and started this movement that we call Christianity, it did not have with it a physical geography. It did not have a country. It had a spiritual kingdom instead that existed in every country in the world. And you weren't given a piece of land, but you were given access to spiritual home, spiritual inheritance, spiritual legacy, spiritual calling, spiritual mission. Jesus said, I'm going to invite you to be a part of a spiritual kingdom, and part of your inheritance is going to be something called the church. And the gates of hell are not going to prevail against it. Like your spiritual home, your spiritual calling, your spiritual community, that's where you're going to do life. And even when life causes you to drift from it, you always come home to your spiritual community. It's this thing that happens on the first day of the week on Sunday where you worship and learn from the Bible when you serve one another and you're with one another. And then it exists kind of out, outside the doors of the church in the community when there's needs and in homes when people kind of hang out and, and take care of one another. Like your spiritual home is the church. And in 2020, I have seen more people drift from spiritual home than I have ever seen before. As a matter of fact, statistics are starting to come out now. And one of the probably scariest statistics for guys like me who believe in the spiritual home of the church is that in March, when almost every church in America closed their door for a season in March, when that happened, statistics now say six months after the fact that one out of every three followers of Jesus who faithfully went to church in March of 2020, when they stopped going because of stay-at-home orders, one out of three stopped going and they never planned to go back. 33% of people who in January and February and March really faithfully had a spiritual home stopped going, and at this point, they never planned to go back. You say, why would they do that? Exact same reasons. Because work has changed. Everything's online. Shoot, because school has changed, and everything's online, and there is no such thing now as the week and the weekend. It's all just one long day that is really awful, and it's been going on since March. 
And like Sunday and this thing of having like spiritual homes just kind of got lost in the mess of everything else. For some of you, literally, you're just like Ruth's family. Like you had to unplug from spiritual home for survival. Like there's some people watching online right now. Like if you came to where a crowd was and contracted COVID with the conditions you have in your life, like you literally would not survive. Like you, you had to leave. Your survival depended on it. For others of you, you're like David. And it's like, it wasn't so much an issue with spiritual home, but the other battles happening in life in 2020, just ap- they just kept you too busy to really connect to spiritual home, spiritual calling, or maybe like Jesus who got chased away by King Herod, maybe just spiritual warfare. Maybe you feel like in 2020, the devil just kind of jumped on your back and you're just not interested in putting up a fight spiritually. There's a village in Northern Wales called Aberhoes, and I read an article about that almost became a ghost town in 2020. For this reason, they could not get the internet there. And in 2020, when your banks and your schools and your medical clinics and even your households can't get the internet, like, like you almost cannot live life there in the 21st century. And for 18 months, they could not get broadband internet during the working hours of the daytime. So they were considering letting this entire village become a ghost town and just abandoning it and moving, moving further down the mountain where they could connect to the world. The only reason they didn't is because every night at midnight, the internet would come on and it would stay on until 7 a.m. So they knew, like, something's just off. They checked all the cables running under the ground. They checked all the cables running above the ground. They checked all the technology and transfers and equipment. And after replacing a bunch of stuff, they said, you know, that, like, the stuff works, but literally every day from 7 a.m. to midnight, there is no internet. This is not a technology problem. This is a people problem. So they said, we're literally going to talk to every person in the village, figure out what's going on, or we're going to have to abandon ship. And they started knocking on doors three months into their journey. They knock on the door of a guy in his upper 70s who had a television that he bought in the 1970s that he had slowly over the decades built some antennas on top of to pirate all of his neighbor's cable so that he could have every channel they had without having to pay for them. And over the decades, he had continued to extend the antennas he had stretching on the back of his TV and like old retired guys do, he had a perfect routine. He'd get up every day at 6 a.m., he'd get his cup of coffee, and every morning at 7 a.m., he would turn on his television to watch the news. And when he turned his TV on, it shut off broadband internet for the rest of the village because it just blocked the signal that was coming into their little pass in the valley. When they figured out what had happened, they said, Sir, can you never turn this TV on again? And he said, If you won't tell anyone, it's me and what I've done. They still have not released his name. He said, you can have the TV. Like, I will be done. A problem that every day for 18 months had disconnected people in a day was solved. I have seen more people disconnect from spiritual home in 2020 than, I've, than like I've ever seen in nearly 25 years of ministry. But folks, one day that switch is going to be turned off. I don't know if it's going to come with a vaccine. I don't know if it's going to come with a cure. I don't know if it's going to come with legislation. I, like, I, I don't know when it's coming. I don't know if it's going to happen when the masks go away. Like, I don't know when it's going to happen for you. But at some point, this thing that has disconnected your life spiritually is going to be shut off. And when it is, the message you need to hear at Christmas is come home. When it finally, when the disconnection is disrupted, come home. Come home to your spiritual home, your spiritual calling, your spiritual community. It's God's gift to you for who he created you to be. Call number one was to Joseph. Call number two was to the shepherds. It says there were shepherds living in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. 
An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Don't be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all of the people today in the town of David. A Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This is going to be a sign to you. You're going to find a baby wrapped in clothes and lying in a manger. If the call to Joseph was come home, the call to the shepherds was come back. See, Joseph, as far as we know, was still walking with God. He just left his spiritual home. It was easier to do and hit his spiritual kind of place that he was supposed to be. The shepherds were a group of Jewish men who probably at one point had walked with God and now were not. They were a group of men who at one point were connected to God and the things of God and now were not connected to God and the things of God. And just by the very nature of what they did, the fact that they were shepherds and they worked outdoor and they worked with flocks and herds and they fed the animals what they fed them, it would have made them ceremonially unclean. So just by their job, they were basically giving up their right to connect to God and the things of God, which was interesting because all the royal herds and flocks were kept in Bethlehem which meant these shepherds that the angel said come back to could never go to the temple, but the sheep went to the temple every day. The shepherds didn't get close to God. The sheep were taken to the temple so that everyone could be close to God. It means the Lamb of God, who would be the one who would ultimately connect the world to the God of heaven, would be born in the place where the royal herds were kept, and every day they would take them to the temple so that people could be close to God. Just an interesting connection in the Christmas story. But there was a group of shepherds that the angels appeared to, and they said, hey, You are currently living disconnected from God and the things of God. Here's the Christmas message to you. Come back. I don't know where you are ending 2020, but if any point in your past you used to be connected to God and the things of God, and now you're not, the message of Christmas for you is come back. I don't know if you know this, but 90% of this book, the Bible, is filled with stories about people who connected to God And then they started living life, and it got harder than they thought in one area or another, so they disconnected from God. And after a time of being disconnected from God, God kind of came into their life again and said, come back. People like Noah. Noah's story is that he walked so close to God that when God wanted to kind of 2.0, like restart the world and his relationship to the world, God chose Noah and his family. But after walking closely with God, Noah probably became the first human being on planet Earth to struggle with alcohol. And in a season of alcoholism, his three sons and his family just kind of fractured while, while he was trying to figure out how to overcome a problem with alcohol. His family behind his back was just falling apart. Maybe that's your 2020 story. You reached for some substance to bring you peace in 2020 that you have not been able to put down. And while you are holding it, everything else is falling apart. Talk to a young mother who, the first week of January, one drink turned into two and two turned into too many. And a year after, they're still picking up the pieces. Walked with God. Then somehow got away from God. Say, what was Noah's story? When he sobered up, God called him back and said, hey, let's, let's, get, let's get back in this now. Build an altar. Worship me. Let's go forward again. People like Jacob. You say, what was Jacob's problem? Jacob not only walked with God, he had promised that if he walked with God, God would like bless him abundantly. You say, what happened? He woke up the day after his wedding, rolled over and looked at his wife and said, what have I done? And he found himself in a marriage that was much different than the marriage he thought he was going to be in. The, his, his phrase was, it's Leah. Like, I had this picture in my head of what marriage would be. And then I have my marriage. And I, and I, and I have really struggled spiritually trying to put these two things together. Maybe that's been your story. 
like a mom I talked to at the end of service number 11. She started 2020 married. She's ending 2020 divorced. And it's hard when the person you're supposed to give your whole heart to, to live this romantic life that you thought you were going to have, begins to fall apart. Maybe you walked closely with God and then marriage was everything except what you thought it would be. It's made you kind of retreat a little bit. You said, Christian, what's God's message to me? Come back. What was God's message to Jacob? Come back. Like, Jacob, come back. Come back and I'll take care of you. People like David. Remember David, the guy who was born in Bethlehem, left to join the army, killed a giant named Goliath, became the king of Israel. So what was his story? He just got spiritually burned out. The energy it took for him to walk with God from the age of 15 to about the age of 40 was so intense that one day at the age of 40, he just told God, I just need a break. I'm going to need a timeout. And a step back became a step away. And by the time he had stepped away long enough, his family, his kingdom, his legacy were all fracturing beneath him. And by the time God caught up with him when one of his sons was trying to usurp his throne and he was fleeing the city that was named after him, he said, did God catch up with him and say, shame on you, you're done? No, God caught up with him and said, come back. See, regardless of where you are at Christmas, here's what you need to know. Your life in 2020 may not run through the place of God, the people of God, the things of God anymore, but here's the great hope of the Christmas story. Even when you quit chasing God, he doesn't quit chasing you. Even when you stop going to where God is, he comes to where you are. Watch this. We're told that the shepherds came and said, today in the town of David, a savior has been born to you. Bethlehem, this little blue star here in the southern part, is known as the town of David. You say, why? It's the town he was from. It was a village town five, about six miles south of Jerusalem. Jerusalem, six miles north, was the city of David. So you got the city of David and the town of David. You say, what's the difference? Town of David, where David was born and raised. City of David was the city that David conquered once he became king. It was a walled city. He conquered it. It had fortifications. It already had government buildings built into it. So he said, this is where I'm going to rule from. Like as a king, Jerusalem's going to be my place. So it became the city of David. It's where they ended up building the temple. It's where the presence of God was. It's where the worship of God was. If you wanted to get close to God or the things of God, you had to go to the city of David. It's where the shepherds never went. Mostly because Jerusalem was a city of life and shepherding was an occupation of death. Probably the most important thing you would do as a shepherd if you ever lost a sheep to pray was go pick up as many limbs and noses and ears as you could because if you could not prove that some animal had gotten hold of the sheep, you would have to pay for it. But if you could pull back parts of the dead animal, you would say, hey, I, I tried my best, couldn't do, couldn't do anything about it. But as a shepherd, if you came into contact with anything dead, you could not then worship the living God. So they, they never went to the city of God. They never went to the city of David. So look what God does on Christmas. God says, I know your life hasn't spent much time lately in the city of David pursuing me, so I'm going to come to the town of David. To put it a little more clearly, God says, you haven't been coming to me, so I'm going to come to you. You haven't been coming to me, so I'm going to come to you. And here's my message. If you will just open your eyes, you will see Jesus and it will change everything. He told the shepherds, you haven't been to the city of David, so I'm coming to the town of David. And I'm telling you, a savior is right in front of your eyes. And if you look for him, you're going to find him. And that is going to change anything. See, the message of Christmas for those of you who might be away from God, is your life hasn't been intersecting much with God or the things of God, but at Christmas, 
when you're not going to the city of David, God is coming to your town so that you can see Jesus. And the first two invitations, I don't know if you've noticed, the first two invitations at Christmas are both already given to people who, who have a relationship with God. People who have a relationship with God, but maybe they're away from spiritual home. People who have a relationship with God, but they're not really close to God right now. The third invitation at Christmas is given to people who don't have a relationship with God. Maybe that is the one you need to hear tonight if you're sitting here listening to the Christmas story. It comes to us from Matthew chapter 2. It says, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where's the one who's been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and we've come to worship him. Joseph's invitation was come home. The shepherd's invitation was come back. The Magi's invitation was come to Jesus come to Jesus. These were people who had not yet connected with the God of heaven, the God of Israel, the God of the universe, but they were looking for more than they had in life. It's interesting. I think 2020 is a magi type of year. You say, Christian, what do you mean? What do you mean 2020 is a magi type of year? Well, you have to know who the magi were to understand the statement. The magi were a group of men who for almost a thousand years in the Middle East were the wealthiest, highest educated, most powerful, influential group in Middle Eastern government. They were not kings or queens, but they decided who was going to be kings and queens. They advised the kings and queens. They wrote all the policy. They were in charge for nearly a thousand years from Egypt all the way into Persia. Wealthiest, most educated, most powerful, most influential. And then over a series of decades, power shifted from the east in the Middle East to the west, first to Greece, and then to Rome. And all of a sudden, these people were looking at their lives and what they did, and they were realizing times were a-changing. And even though they were wealthy, educated, powerful, and influential, they didn't know what their future held, and that caused them internally not to be able to have any peace. So they started saying, is there anything written anywhere in education, history, science, religion, This says there's anybody who can offer guys like us who appear to be a dying breed some internal peace in a world of external conflict and some eternal life in a world that certainly is going to end on on this side of the universe. Is there anything written that offers us hope that we can have peace on the inside, that we can have life on the other side? And they find a Jewish prophecy that says a king is going to be born in Israel who will offer peace to the inside and eternal life on the other side of this life. And you'll know he's going to be born when the planets align. It literally says in in the book of Numbers, a star will rise, will come together. The universe will tell you when the king has been born. So they become stargazers. Y'all are aware of what happened this week, right? The great conjunction, like, unless you live in Aberhosen between 7 and midnight. like Like, if you've dialed up online, you've heard of the great conjunction, right? Jupiter and Saturn. The two most visible planets in our solar system from planet Earth with the naked eye, this, this week came together. They were closer and more visible this week than they have been in 800 years. On Monday evening, I was outside with some of our team with binoculars, and we were watching these two, these two planets kind of come together and appear to almost cross in the sky. Now, it happened in 1633, but it was in the daytime too close to the sun, so you couldn't see it. The last time you could see it, like you could see it Monday night, was, it, was about 1280, 800 years ago that you could watch this happen. In 1600 AD, a German astronomer named Johannes Kepler hypothesized that it was this moment of great conjunction, the planets aligning, that the Magi saw the year that Jesus was born that made them say the planets are aligning because there's something behind the universe trying to get our attention. Whether or not that's true, we don't know, but that's what he hypothesized 
that astronomers in those days who believed there was a God behind the universe would have seen the alignment of the planets and said the universe is trying to tell us something. So they go to the books, and the books say, check Israel. That's where you're going to find the king who can change everything on the inside and who gives you an eternal life. What I find interesting is like, not a lot has changed in 2,000 years. And this year is a Magi year because wealthy, educated, powerful, influential people this year have been told to put on a mask, and they've been told to stay home. And if they have pre-existing conditions and they go outside and get this illness in March or April, they're probably going to be put on a ventilator and, and, and then probably they're not going to make it. Like there's no amount of money, education, power, influence in the world that like saves you from the chaos of 2020 or helps you know that, well, if the worst happens, you'll be okay after that happens, after death. So 2020 has been a year where people are saying, is there anything more than what I already have that can give me an internal peace? and an eternal promise. And Christmas says, yes, you can come to Jesus and he'll do that. I study a lot of faith and science um, and where those worlds converge. have a lot of friends who have yet to be able to come to Jesus because they have a lot of science questions. So one of the things I've done is I've just tried to learn as much as I can about the world of science and the world of faith and, and where they intersect in areas where you, can, where you can place a reasonable faith. And I learned this year, I didn't know it before this year, that 100 years ago, it was universally thought in science that the universe had always existed. It was a static, observable, knowable thing. In 1920, it was universally believed that the universe had always existed. In 1923, they started studying just the movement of matter in the universe, and they realized it was kind of all moving in the same direction at the same speed, and it was kind of spreading out as it went. And by 1927, they realized that this mass of energy really had a beginning point, and there was something in the universe that by the time 1930 rolled around was now called the Big Bang in science. There was something in the universe that at a specific moment of time launched the universe into existence. 1920, it's always been around. By the time we get to 1930, they're like, no, something, something happened. Something happened that in a moment, a burst of energy and planets and stars and dust and matter exploded and formed everything that you can see. And the world of science became caught up with studying what that something was because they said, if we can ever figure out what happened and why, what we learn about our past might be able to tell us a whole lot about our present, maybe even a little bit about our future. So they become obsessed with figuring out how did this happen? When did it happen? Where did it happen? What's going to happen? And here's the latest thing they're doing to try to figure that out. They are now raising money to put a telescope on the moon. They've already picked the crater on the moon where they want to put the telescope, the darkest crater on the darkest side of the moon that faces the darkest side of the universe. They've already designed the telescope. The lens of it is wider than a football field is long. And they are hoping that if they can build this telescope on the moon and point it to the darkest part of the universe and turn it on, that it will be able to see all the way back to the Big Bang so they can see what happened to kick off the universe. And I, for one, hope they succeed. Matter of fact, if they get within $100 of their fundraising goal, I'll give the final $100. Because I have an idea of what they'll see. I only hope that when they dial it in and they get all the way back to that first day that they press record right before they hit there. And I hope it has both video and audio recording. Because I, I, I think I know what they're going to find. I think when they get to that day right before the universe launched and they focus in that telescope, I think they're going to see God. 
sitting in his Patrick Mahomes jersey because that's, that's what I think he wears from 2020 to 2030. They're going to see God in his Patrick Mahomes jersey. He's going to be talking to these two beings, these two people. We know him as God the Son and God the Spirit, but there's going to be three. There's going to be a there's, there's going to be three that are there kind of in one. And they're going to be talking about whether or not they should create a race of people, a human race, to invite to experience all that they experience, eternal love, eternal community, eternal connection, eternal peace, eternal purpose. Do you think we should create some people and share with them what we have? And at some point they say yes. They say yes. And one of them utters or speaks, let there be light. Boom. The universe explodes just like science believes it did. I mean, just in a burst of energy and matter, the universe and galaxies and solar, so they just begin to unfold. And as energy races away from that moment, at some point, God says, we're going to have to have some breathable air. So let there be air. And he's like, we're probably going to need to divide the water from the land. So let's put the water here and the, the land here. And let's put some stuff in the water, like some fish and stuff. And let's put some birds in the air. That'd be pretty cool. And then let's put some like some plants and some trees like on the ground, you know, he goes all Bob Ross. We'll put a pretty little tree here and a fluffy little tree here. And when he gets like, when he gets like all the land perfect, he's like, now let's create some people in our image and in our likeness to share our love, to have our peace, to live in our eternity. Like let's, let's create community with these people. See, I think if they get the telescope built and they point it in deep space and it actually works, I think on the other side, they're going to see what Christmas says we'll see, a God who is inviting the world that we live, live in relationship with him. You say, well, Christian, why do you say come to Jesus instead of come to God if he's the one inviting you? Because we can't come to God on his standards anymore. See, God's standards to live in relationship with him are to be totally perfect and never make one mistake, commit one sin your entire life. All of us would say, I don't, I don't think I can do that one. What's the other one? You can be totally and permanently and eternally punished for the sins you commit. You're like, I don't want to do, like I can't do the first one and I don't want to do the second one. Is there like a, a door C that I can walk through? And God says, yeah, you can come to Jesus. Because Jesus chose when humanity failed to live up to their perfection and did not want to face their punishment. Jesus chose to live a perfect life, born at Christmas, crucified at Easter, live a perfect life, be punished in a terrible way so that he could fulfill both of the standards of God and you could choose to trust him for your relationship with God. He, he, he offers to be your substitute. Read a book this summer on Teddy Roosevelt, 26th president of the United States. Love history, love the history of presidents. And there's kind of a very shameful little known fact about the Roosevelt family that almost kept Teddy Roosevelt from being elected in the early 1900s. And that's this, his dad, was a very wealthy businessman in New York City during the Civil War. And they had a thing during the Civil War that I didn't know about, even though I was a history major until God called me into ministry, where if your draft number came up and you were in the Northern Army, if your draft number came up and you were a wealthy businessman, you could pay $300 to send a substitute to the battle line on your behalf. If they drew your number and you thought you were too important or you didn't want to go fight, you could give $300 and they would find an immigrant, a slave, or a criminal and send them to die in your place. 
It's a shameful thing. The Union Army needed money, so sometimes you could buy more than one if your draft number came around twice. But it was a shameful thing to duck your responsibility, and Teddy Roosevelt almost wasn't elected because of it. But when you hear that story, that is the gospel. It's the gospel of God saying, I want to have a relationship with you, but you've got to be perfect. And you're saying, I've, I am not that. And God's saying, it's okay, you can have a substitute. You can come to Jesus and he will be that for you. It's the gospel because it's God saying, if you ever make a mistake, you're going to have to be punished for it permanently and eternally. And you're saying, I don't want to do that. And God said, it's okay. There's a substitute. You can come to Jesus. He did that on the cross. And all you need, you don't have to give $300. You just have to open your heart and your hands and point your feet in the direction of Jesus and follow. You surrender. You accept my invitation to live in relationship by surrendering your ability to do it on your own. You come to Jesus and you let him connect you to me. If you're here tonight and you've never connected to the God of the universe, maybe you didn't know he created you, he knows you, he loves you, he wants to have a relationship with you. Now that you know that, you want to have a relationship with him too. All you got to do is come to Jesus. Internal peace, eternal life, come to Jesus. If you've never done that, we're going to close this 12th and final Christmas service by allowing you to make that decision. It's your decision whether to say yes or not. But if you've never begun a relationship with God, you can tonight if you want to. Would you bow your heads and pray with me? Heads are bowed and eyes are closed all over this auditorium and for those who are watching online right now. If you've never heard the truth that God created you, he knows you, he loves you, he wants to live in relationship with you, he's inviting you to that. If you've never heard that truth, but tonight you're hearing it for the first time and you're saying, if that's the invitation, I accept. It's a yes. If God offers internal peace in a world of chaos and eternal life in a world that will one day end in death, if he's really offering that, I say yes. If tonight you want to accept God's invitation, all you got to do is open your heart and say yes. You say, Christian, how exactly does it work? The Bible says that you believe in your heart by faith. Say, what what does that mean? Your heart is your soul. It's the spiritual portion of you. Faith is that thing that says, I'm going to choose to believe. Believing by faith means you're not going to understand it all, and you probably won't be able to explain it all, but you're willing to believe it all. You're willing to go all in. That you believe in your heart by faith, and then you confess with your mouth by prayer that Jesus will be your substitute, and he will be your leader moving forward. You're going to surrender your heart, your life, your future to him. If you've never entered into a relationship with the God of the universe and experienced his internal peace, his eternal life, the forgiveness of sin, a change in heart and mind, all you got to do is open your heart and say yes tonight. If you want to do that, I'm going to say a prayer that you can repeat after me. It's not really my words or your words. I'm not going to ask you to even say them out loud. Really, I'm going to ask you to think them more than say them. Really, it's the attitude of your heart saying, if God is inviting me to be close to him, I say yes. If you want to do that tonight and you've never done that, just repeat after me something like this from your heart to heaven. Don't even have to move your lips as you pray from your heart to heaven. Say something like this, God. Just repeat after me. God. Tonight I accept your invitation to live in a relationship with you that will give me internal peace and eternal life. Tonight by faith, which means I don't understand it all, 
but my soul was telling me to believe it. Tonight, by faith, I choose Jesus as my substitute. I ask that you would forgive me for my sin and let Jesus pay the penalty for my sin on the cross. Forgive me and cleanse me from everything I've ever done wrong. Wipe the slate clean. Tonight I commit to follow Jesus in my future so that I might become who you created me to be and live and look more like him. God, tonight, I want to commit my life to you. I want to commit to follow Jesus. And I ask you to help me as I begin my new life as a Christian. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed all over this room. If you just prayed with me, I'd like to pray for you. Say, Christian, how are you going to do that? I'm going to ask everyone to just kind of stay where they are with their heads bowed and their eyes closed, really out of reverence to you and the vulnerability of this moment. But I do want to pray for you. So here's what I'm going to do in just a second. If you prayed with me, I'm going to count to three. And when I get to three, I'm just going to ask you to slip your hand up in the air and hold it up in the air quickly and quietly till I can scan the auditorium. Then I'll have you put your hands down while everyone else still has their heads bowed and eyes closed. And then I'll say a quick prayer for you that this new relationship you've started with God will transform your life from the inside out as you walk out of this service tonight. If you prayed with me, can I pray for you? Would you let me know on the count of three by raising your hand? One, two, three. Right now, just all over the room at the same time. Just if you prayed with me, raise your hand. Now, I'm asking you to just leave it up for just a second. There are people in every section. I'm going to go slow. I'm going to count as I scan the auditorium so you know when I'm done. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven. 12, 13, 14. You can put your hands down. God, thank you for these 14 people who said, tonight I heard God call to me and invite me into relationship. And I said, yes. God, I pray these 14 people, it may be anyone else who prayed but didn't raise their hand, maybe those online who I can't see. God, I pray that as they leave this service, they will feel like, like you are with them. God, I don't know how to explain that, but I've experienced it. I pray they would too, that as they walk out, literally they would feel like you are with them. God, I pray they would feel forgiven. I pray they would feel like the things of their past really have been forgiven by you. The slate is clean and they get a whole new second chance at life. I can't explain that, but I've experienced it. I pray that they would experience it too. And God, I pray as they go to bed tonight and wake up every morning for the rest of their life, as they see a sunrise or a sunset, or they look at the universe on a starry night, that they would kind of see through it all to the God who created it. And they would realize I'm, I'm with him now. I'm connected to him. I pray you'd start a relationship with their heart that would change their life for good and forever. Thank you for their willingness to accept your invitation and their courage to raise their hands. Bless them tonight, Lord. Head still bowed, eyes still closed. If you're one of the 14 that just raised your hand, would you, would you do one more thing for me? If you came with someone, kids came with your mom and dad, Husbands and wives that came together, families that came together, friends that came together. If you would just reach over to someone that you're with while heads are still bowed and eyes are still closed. You've told me, thank you. Now tell someone who knows you. Reach over and squeeze their hand, hit them on the leg, 
kind of nudge them with your elbow. Do something to tell someone that you're near. Tonight, I just accepted God's invitation to live in relationship, and I don't want it to be a secret. Just tell someone you're with. And if somebody's nudging you or bumping you, just just respond back in a way that lets them know, that's awesome, I got you. If you're a follower of Jesus, maybe say a prayer for them. Now, God, we thank you for what you did in this house tonight and this week. God, I pray for those who walked in the room who were already followers of Jesus, but 2020 has moved them from their spiritual home. Let them hear the call to come home. God, I pray for those who are already followers of Jesus, but hard circumstances of their life have caused them to be away from God and the things of God. Let them hear your invitation to come back. And God, for all of us, as we go to celebrate Christmas, let us remember in the midst of this great American holiday, the true story behind it that changes everything because of Jesus. We love you. And God, we ask all these things tonight in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Hey, Journey, can you put your hands together for 14 people tonight who said yes. I want to follow Jesus. Thank you.